The book of Acts represents one of the most significant events in human history, which in some ways I think today we have lost a little bit. We have lost a sense of the significance of the book of Acts. We have lost a sense of the direction that it provides. I think we have lost a little bit of the perspective in the book of Acts. And one of the things that I am most passionate about, church, is I am most passionate about the Holy Spirit to come alive in us here and now. Not something that was just for the past church, the early church, but the move of the Holy Spirit that is available and operating in our lives in this day. And for, for this to happen, though, for this to take place in our lives and in our church, we need to understand, once again, the incredible promise that Jesus made in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Notice the words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, all of us, every disciple. And these particular disciples that were being addressed here, early in Jerusalem, had this incredible promise, and it was actually fulfilled, as we shall see today, in the fulfillment, this fulfillment, the prophecy that Jesus made in Acts chapter 1, this promise changed everything in their lives. In fact, I think it altered history because of what it did in these lives of people. This was something so dramatic that happened through them and in their lives that their environment changed, that their influence changed. It, in fact, would change not only their lives personally, but wherever they went, it changed the dynamic of the world. This small group of people, 120 of them, 120, history, history records this for us, uneducated people, 120 people who were basically fishermen, carpenters, tax collectors, men and women, for the most part, irrelevant people, marginalized people, marginalized people in the sense that they were on the fringes of a massive, powerful Roman Empire. And yet, these people, in a relatively short time, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, in this momentary short time, became one of the most significant events that, faced, that changed the face of the entire empire. So when you understand this, the question that you need to ask yourself at this point is, how is this possible? How is this possible that the small relatively irrelevant group of people of 120, how could this happen that this group of people that had such obscure beginnings could allow this to transpire throughout an empire? Now, when you ask that question and when you look at the early church in the first century, these disciples had none of the things that you and I might consider as important or essential in order for us to have a successful church. Because we think of church, 
We think of being followers of Christ, of coming into a building. We think in terms of buildings. We think in terms of status in the community or having large monetary resources or having some kind of influence in the political realm. Yet these followers of Jesus, church, these followers of Jesus had none of this stuff. None of it was present in their lives. And yet... The church grew by leaps and bounds, and it influenced an empire. So we come back to the question again that we need to ask ourselves. How do you explain this incredible phenomenon that took place? And my friends, the answer hinges upon what we will talk about today in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along in the book of Acts, I encourage you to do that. Because when you read this particular chapter, there is something that happens here that is quite opposite to what happens in our culture today. Because rather than depending on their own personal resources... These people, these disciples, received something into their lives that ultimately changed everything for them. Unfortunately, in our culture today, there is this obsession with self. And we see here that it wasn't anything that the disciples did. It wasn't anything that the disciples mustered up. But rather, it was something that they received themselves, and it changed them from the inside out. They were ignited, make no mistake about it, they were ignited by the Spirit of the living God. In fact, Vance Havner said these words, we are not going to move this world by criticisms of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. So you may be asking right now, how do you change the world? The answer to that question is by living a dynamic life that the Spirit of God is allowing you to experience inside of your life. It's, it's this transcendent power that resides within that somehow dramatically influences our surroundings. So then the next question becomes, if this is truly true, what does it mean then to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, when you read in the book of Acts, and we'll get to that next week, but when you read the book of Acts and when the Spirit came upon those disciples, that's exactly the question all the witnesses of this event asked. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And that is something we need to look at today as well. What does it mean for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? That's what Acts chapter 2, the verses we read a few moments ago, verses 1 through 13, address for us today. And we want to take this particular moment and look at this moment because it changed everything. Historically, the church has called these verses... Literally, it has been called the day of Pentecost. It was a fantastic event that we read a few moments ago. Powerful words that describe this event. And from these verses, these 13 verses that we read just a few moments ago, I want to address three very distinct observations. 
The first observation that I make in these verses is the significance of the power of presence. Because in order for us to understand what transpired in the book of Acts chapter 2, we must have an understanding of what Pentecost means. This event, the outpouring of God's Spirit, referred to as the day of Pentecost, had its roots in the Old Testament. In fact, notice what Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. The verse says, On the day of Pentecost. Some versions say, When the day of Pentecost arrived. In other words, it was already on the calendar. It was on the calendar like Christmas Day is on the calendar or Thanksgiving Day is on the calendar or the day of the summer solstice is on the calendar. The day of Pentecost was on the Jewish calendar. People were anticipating the day of Pentecost. There, there already was this day, there was this feast on the Jewish calendar that was called Pentecost. But the question in verse 1 that must be asked is this. What is it about this day, what is it about this particular day that God chooses to pour out His Spirit? Why did God do it on this day? Was there a particular reason why this day was selected? Now, when you can answer those questions, you can begin to understand the significance of the day of Pentecost. And it begins to make sense as to why God chose this day to pour His Spirit about on those 120 disciples. Let me, let me explain it. Let me explain it like this, that Pentecost was a celebration feast in the Hebrew culture. And it's outlined in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 23, you can read the outline of the events of that day. And there are two very important aspects to the celebration. Number one, it was the celebration of the Feast of First Fruits. Since the Jews were an agrarian society, they would grow grains and fruits and vegetables. And every year, the very first part of the harvest, they would offer that harvest to God in a way of saying, thank you, Lord, for these provisions. This happened, the first, the first fruit celebration on Pentecost, happened 50 days after the Passover. That's where we get the name Pente from. It means 50 Fifty days after Passover was the Feast of Pentecost. So Passover happens, which, by the way, aligns itself to the crucifixion of Jesus. And then 50 days after Pentecost, there is this feast or festival called Pentecost. The second thing to understand is that the Hebrews recognized the 50 days after Passover as also the time when God met Moses on Mount Sinai, and that's when the law was given. That's where they recognized, that's where the people of Israel were recognized specifically as the people of God. So every year, hundreds and hundreds of years, Jewish people would come from all over the world back to Jerusalem 
on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, to give thanks to God with their first fruits, but also to celebrate the fact that God came down on Mount Sinai to meet with Moses, making them into the people of God, a new kind of people. And just like Passover was pointing to Jesus, the Feast of Pentecost was pointing to God's Spirit being outpoured and forming a new community, a new nation of people, not governed by earthly governments and boundaries and borders, a new people that were going to be aligned to the part of God and to accomplish God's purposes. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house they were sitting. Verse 3. Then what looked like flames of tongue, of fire, appeared and settled upon each of them. Now I want you to notice a couple of things that is being described here. It's describing wind, and it's describing fire. What is so fascinating about this is when you go back and look back in the Old Testament, over and over and over again, you see evidence of wind and fire. When Job was visited by God, he was visited by God in a whirlwind. Abraham is visited by a burning torch. On Mount Sinai, on the first Pentecost, Moses is visited by the God with wind and fire. So everything, everything in this moment, in Acts chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3, everything is pointing to the fact that God is now present among his people, among the 120 disciples. And there is power in his presence. God is doing something extraordinarily new and powerful. That brings me to the second point. The second observation is we need to understand and notice the shifting of location. The first one is we need to understand the power of presence, of God's presence. Then we need to understand the shifting of location that transpires here. Up until this point, it was all about the temple in the Jewish culture. This physical place, this location of God's presence. And to the people of Israel... The temple in Jerusalem signified and symbolized stability, continuity. It was something that was very visible in the community. It was something that was steadfast. And people were secure in knowing that there was the temple, the God's presence was there, and that worship, as long as the temple was there, worship could continue unabated. And since the temple was not movable, everyone who wanted to come to worship God would have to come to this particular place, which was located in the city of Jerusalem. And people had this idea in the Jewish culture. The temple, that's the place where God resides. The unfortunate thing, the unfortunate thing at the time of Jesus and by the time Acts happened, by the time this chapter took place, 
there was a sense among the people of God that God wasn't present in the temple anymore. And if you notice in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the disciples were not even in the temple. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. There is no mention of the temple. In fact, during this time, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, during this particular era, had a longing for the presence of God to once again return, the fire of God to come. But in order to somehow escalate the return of God's presence, what they did was they created a system to try and manipulate God to be present among his people. And so they thought, if we could be holy enough, if we create all of these rules and regulations and we follow them legalistically, then God's presence will return back to the temple. In other words, they were trying to force themselves and the people to become more religious. And if we abide and if we do all these things, then God, God in his presence will come back and it will dwell among this people. But you and I know nothing happened. And now there was Passover. And on Passover, when Jesus was, Jesus was crucified, and the Bible tells us, if you recall, on the crucifixion, on the day of the crucifixion, the veil in the temple, which separated the holiest place in the temple from ordinary people, the place behind which the presence of God was, that veil was torn from top to bottom. See, that veil protected the people from the presence of God. And immediately upon the death of Christ, that veil was rent in half. And immediately there was this sense that God was not behind the curtain. Then, 50 days later, as we read a few moments ago, God's fire returns in the same manner in which he met Moses on Mount Sinai. But this time, it was with 120 people who were in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. And this, and this is what I want you to particularly notice. This is what we need to take note of. You need to notice that God did not return to the old temple. He returns to a new temple. And the new temple is people. It's us. This is the new temple. The new temple is us. And it's described like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through verse 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body. Now, by the way, let's be very clear with this. Let's be very clear. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in us because the body is a temple. The body is a temple because the Spirit dwells 
in us. You have to understand that. That has to be very clear. In other words, it's not that you make your body something and then the Holy Spirit comes and enters in. No, instead it's the Spirit comes in and makes your body a holy temple unto the Lord. And so what we are witnessing in Acts chapter 2 is very significant because it's the decentralization of the Spirit of God. Now God, instead of just residing in one place, in one location, now God is everywhere with all people in various places, not just in one location and in one specific spot. And not only that, every human being can now experience the transcendent presence of God. Now, when we talk about the transcendent presence of God, we're describing God who is separate from and independent from nature and humanity. For example, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and verse 9, notice these words. God says, the Lord says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's a description of the transcendence of God. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 8, verse 23. Jesus says, You are from below, I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. What we learn from these simple verses is that God is far superior to humans in his greatness, in his power, in his knowledge, in his goodness, in his holiness, and in his purity. But now just notice this, the prophetic word of Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. The high and the lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place, and those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Did you get that? Notice this. The one who is transcendent, he says, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. This is what exactly is happening in Acts chapter 2. God is coming to dwell human creation. He's coming to indwell us people in the power and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The transcendent God is making himself available to be personally known. And he wants to share his attributes with people. It wasn't long ago that philosopher Nietzsche said, God is dead. In that one statement, when Nietzsche stated that, made that statement, God is dead, in that one statement, there was a representation of an entire school of thought that believed religion was a past thing. We don't need God any longer, is what he is basically saying. We now have increased our knowledge in science and logic. We are now at an age where we've become enlightened, and we no longer need religion or biblical truth. 
But what that kind of thinking has done in our culture today is that it has gutted Christianity of its experience of a transcendent God. We have now eliminated the reality of the beyond the known. We have removed miracles, the resurrection, scripture, healing from our thinking. We have removed the experiential aspect of our faith. And modern people, it was said, are not going to accept such things any longer. And as a result of this one statement, God is dead, there has been and has come a gradual dismantling of our biblical beliefs. However, here's what you need to know. Here's what we need to understand. Even in our modern age today, listen real closely to this. People still long for an encounter with the living God. People are still looking for a connection and experience with the divine. People still want a sense of belonging, that there is something bigger than themselves. People still want to feel alive, more connected, more in tune with themselves and with others than ever before. In other words, people still hunger and have a desire to experience the divine. There is still, make no mistake about it, there is still a deep spiritual desire in all humans for a connection with Almighty God. And let me tell you this, you and I in our lifetime can realize it. You and I, because of what God has done on the day of Pentecost, you and I can experience the presence of God. You say, well, how is that possible? It's possible in your life and mine when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not some electrical impulse. It's not some ominous force that overwhelms you and subdues you. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't produce goosebumps which causes all of your problems to go away. No, no, no. Being filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is an experience with truth which leads us to understand that Christianity is an encounter, an emotional, life-altering encounter with truth. And just like the disciples experienced on the day of Pentecost, there was a declaration of various languages describing the wonders of God. So when people are filled with the Spirit, they are filled with truth, and they are exposed to God's character, which we read in the Scriptures is primarily love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Notice, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In verse 12 of that same chapter, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So when you and I are filled with the, with the Spirit, you and I are experiencing truth and love. Being filled with the Spirit means that truth and love flow out to others. All of a sudden, when you are filled with the Spirit, you begin to share things that are more wise than you've ever dreamed of knowing. You begin to have thoughts that are God thoughts, 
There is a love that happens when you are filled with the Spirit that is greater than any love you have ever known before and that you are now able to extend that love, the love of God to others in new ways and new dimensions than you've ever done before. And there is a new desire when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a new desire that is now directing your life where your wants and your passions are being transformed by God's Spirit in your life. And there is an alignment. There's a coming into alignment with God's heart. Listen. Listen really closely to this. I don't need more power to become or be critical. I don't need more power. I don't need anyone to help me become angry. I don't need anyone to help me be judgmental. This stuff is just natural in my life and in my living in this flesh. Hate comes easy to all of us. But love requires power. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a new dimension of love that defines how you live your life towards others. Loving people that you never thought you could love. Getting along with people that you never thought was possible. Participating in the community and fellowship of fellow believers no matter where you find yourself in the world. Isn't it interesting, If those of you who have traveled, if you go to different places in the world, there is a gravitation of being with Christians and immediately you find a sense of fellowship. It is the Holy Spirit that brings that fellowship together no matter which country, which culture, which people group that you are with. When you are with Christians, there is a fellowship that binds us together and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does that. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a new promotion of unity that happens in your life where you promote the unity in the church even in the midst of great diversity. I have, I have a glove in my hand. This glove cannot do anything by itself. But when I put my hand in this glove, this glove can do many things. True, it's not, it's not the glove, but it's my hand that is in the glove that makes it work. You and I are gloves. And it is, the, it is the Holy Spirit in us who is the hand. It does the job. And our responsibility, what we must do, is we need to give room, make room, so that the hand... And every finger of this glove is filled with truth and love. And here's my final point. We're going to wrap up shortly. My time's almost up. Here's our final point. Another distinct observation of Acts chapter 2. There's an embrace of inclusiveness that happens. You see, there's this moment where the wind rushes in, the fire appears, God's presence is in that room with 120 disciples, and they begin to speak 
in other tongues, in languages that is different from what they are known. Acts chapter 2, verse 6, says these words. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, And we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Here's what I want you to grasp. Here's something that you need to underscore. Up until this point, up until this very moment, temple worship, the worship in the temple centered on a segregation of people. The temple represented exclusion and division. In fact, there was even a place where not only was God separated with his people by this huge veil, there was also a separation that transpired between people groups. In fact, there was, there was a place called in the temple grounds called the Court of Gentiles. And all the people that we just read about in those verses, all these different people groups from different nations that were at and in Jerusalem during the Feast of the Pentecost, these people, if they wanted to go to the temple they had to go to a special section just for the Gentiles. They were not the true Jewish people. If they wanted to worship God, they had to go to that place. They weren't really invited to go into the place where the Jews were in to worship God. So what you see here is there was a segregation, this separation of people groups. But now, on the day of Pentecost... God broke this, he broke this confining temple arena. What God is saying is something completely different during this out, incredible outpouring. There is an invitation that happens. There is an inclusion that happens. An invitation to all people groups. You know what God is doing here with the outpouring of the Spirit? Is he is validating all of the disciples, male and female, irregardless of their gender, irregardless of where they came from, every single person of every tribe, every nation, every region, could now experience the goodness and the fullness and the power of God. So when you read that list of people that we read about just a few moments ago, when you review that list of people who heard this message, they were from everywhere. They were from every culture, every land. And when we come to grips with this reality, we understand, listen, heaven is going to include people from every nation, every language group, every culture, and not everyone worships like me or looks like me or participates in church like me. Every person from every group, you got to get this, every person from whatever nation you are from, whatever language you speak, every culture will be represented in heaven. And what this incident in Acts chapter 2 does, when the Holy Spirit came, listen really closely to this, the world changed from a monoculture environment, a segregated, separated people group, a monocultural environmental 
to a God-created intercultural movement. We have to understand that. The disciples, by speaking in other tongues, were making a verbal declaration about the goodness and the wonders of God. But God was also making a declaration. And His declaration was, all people will be included in my kingdom. No longer would I reside just with my people, the Israel Jews. No, now, all people, a new group of people, a new people would be identified. And it became an intercultural movement. See, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on those 120 people in the upper room, God was doing something new and completely different. He was creating a new people, a new humanity on the day of Pentecost. This new community, these new people, as amazingly diverse as they were, became an inclusive group of people. And can I submit this to you today? That God is concerned that we continue that inclusivity in the kingdom and in the church today as well. Make no, regard, make no disregard about it. We need to understand that every single, regardless of where you come from, whatever your culture is, whatever the skin color is, whatever your cultural leanings are, God has a purpose for your life and he wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can be an extension of his power, of his grace, and of his fullness. It is a cultural moment. We need to understand this. It is, even in our day today, it is a cultural moment today. When we look at Acts chapter 2, when I read this and I see God's presence poured out and when I see that my life is the new temple of the Holy Spirit and when I see that God is embracing all people groups and all nations, what I must do is I must submit myself to the implications that that holds when I read Acts chapter 2. God is present not just in a church building. God is present there with you, in me. Through you, he wants to display his goodness and his greatness. He wants us to display the wonders of his good works. And in order for you to do that, you must walk in the fullness of his spirit. You know why that's important? Because God has called each of us to be the delivery system of God's truth and God's love. And what God is doing in this day and age is he is collectively forming us into a beautiful, diverse humanity that accepts all people in all neighborhoods, in all places of commerce. And the Holy Spirit wants to pour through your life to influence others in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, May we understand fully the implications of Acts chapter 2 and what you are doing. May we come to grasp 
with the incredible power that resides in us when we submit ourselves to the fullness of your spirit operating in us. Fill us, O God, I, I pray, afresh and anew. Fill us, O Lord, I pray. May we experience your wondrous works and that through us we display your truth and your love that transcends all boundaries, all borders, all people group, all ages. May we be good representations of your work in our lives, I pray. May your spirit, O God, renew us, Fill us again, O God, to be disciples of your glory. Make us the delivery systems of your truth and of your love to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. In his name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you for coming this morning, church. God bless you, and we'll see you again next week as we conclude Acts chapter 2 next week. With the big question, what does this mean? All right, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.